Good morning. My name is Brad. If you've never met me, I had the privilege of being the pastor here at the Park Church, and I would invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. If you're new to the Christianity, it's towards the back of the Bible. You can also find it on your phone if you download the Version app, and I'm using the Christian Standard Bible. It'll also be next to me here on the screen as we continue in this series to the book of Colossians, looking at chapter 3, and we're reading verses 5 through 9 this week. So our, my text for today is entitled, Good Murder. Good Murder is the title of our text today. A little bit of an oxymoron for sure, but murder, let me tell you this, if you are in Christ, is necessary for your growth. Murder is actually necessary for your growth, okay? And we'll see why in just a moment here in this text. Verse 5, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this in Colossians 3, verse 5 through 9. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, purity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath is coming upon the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now, put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices. I have a friend that I was talking to the other week, and I was sharing with him the good news of the gospel. That we as sinners are loved by God. And we, through faith, can believe in Christ Jesus and come into a relationship with him. And my friend turned to me and said, see, that's where we differ, Brad. I don't believe that any of us are sinners. We all just have flaws. None of us actually sin. We're just flawed human beings. Now, a flaw is like bad breath, right? Maybe for some of you, though, it's like, that's a sin. Like, you need to take care of that, right? But a flaw is bad breath or not being good at math. Those are flaws. Our text today is speaking, though, of breaking God's law. A holy God, the holy one that we just sung about, that's completely set apart from sin. Our text is telling us today that we are not merely flawed human beings, but we are sinful human beings. And this sin does not make God happy. In fact, this text right out of the Bible just told us that God's wrath is actually burning against our sin. So that is why this text today is called Good Murder. Because as Christians, we are to put to death what belongs to our earthly nature that still remains. But if you notice in verse 5, this verse starts with an important word. It's the word therefore. And whenever you come to therefore and you're reading the Bible, you got to ask, what's it there for? So it's referring back to the section that we just looked at last week, that your identity, all of who you are, is in Christ. You've been unified to him, and you are with him if you have a relationship with Jesus. And so this therefore is not, okay, God is coming after you. He's coming to judge you. Therefore, put to death 
your sin and what's earthly that still remains in you, but instead it is God is your life. You are complete in him. And because of that reality is true, you now put to death sin because of all you are in Christ because you belong to him. Do you want to have victory in the Christian life? That's a question. Do you want to have victory in the Christian life? I do. And this text tells us that we can. And as speaking to you as your pastor, but as one who comes to this text very humbly and says, I am with you on this. I am still a work in progress, daily putting death my sin. And so as we look in this together, Know that I'm speaking this to my own heart and not just coming after us as a church, but including myself in this, that I want to be godly and I want to grow in Christ. So here's our big idea this morning. If you were to catch this, it's this. Because you are in Christ, you must slaughter your sin. Because you are in Christ, you must slaughter your sin. Why? If I'm already in Christ, why am I still sinning? Well, we looked at last week that you are still unfinished. Yes, you are united to Christ, but the flesh is still present in your life. The flesh is still there, your old nature. Although your status is now changed towards it, you still have the ability to sin, and we sin all the time. But in order to understand our flesh, we probably should know what, what our relationship is like to it if we're Christians. I have next to me here some cartoons. Anybody like cartoons out there? You read comics? Okay, here's some cartoons that'll help us understand just a little bit more what our relationship, now that we're in Christ, is like to our sinful nature. These aren't mine, these are someone else's, but let's just imagine that this is us. This is you. Ladies, I apologize. You'll just have to imagine for a moment here that this is you. Loved by God, made in the image of God, and this is your flesh. This is the flesh, the sinful nature that is opposed to you, that wants to destroy you, that is a monster and wants to take you down and is opposed to the things of God. And your relationship to the flesh, if you don't know Christ, is like this. The flesh dominates you. It holds you completely captive. Although you do some good things from time to time, even our bad things are tainted by our desire to make ourselves happy. And so we are often, this the scriptures say, we are enslaved to our flesh and our sinful desires. It controls us completely. But when we come to know Christ, that chain is now broken as we accept Christ and he breaks the bonds between us and our flesh where we couldn't say no before. Now we have the ability to live in victory like we never could before. And now we can say no to the flesh. We can uh, say, I'm not going to give in to you. I'm not that same person anymore. I've been made new. And in fact, we have the opportunity to go on the offense with the flesh. Now, I don't know why the artist decided to use a stick for this. I don't know. I might have done a cross or something like that. But you can beat the flesh off with a stick here. You can say, get out of here. I don't want anything to do with your life anymore. And that is the opportunity now you have in Christ. But still the flesh remains. And now we have to think about, are we going to feed our flesh are we going to give it an opportunity in our lives? Now, some of you in this room right now, although it's a funny cartoon, this is where you're living. You're feeding your flesh. Romans chapter 12 says, no, make no provision for the flesh. 
and to make a provision for the flesh is to make sure it's kept taken care of. You give it rations. You give it a meal. And some of you are putting yourself in situations and living a life where your flesh now is doing really well and it's dominating you again. And as you feed your flesh, it begins to grow and it begins to push you around. And now it controls you. Even though you've been made dead to your flesh, it's still it's dominating your life. But instead, what we need to do is we need to starve our flesh. Keep, our, keep, it, keep away from situations that will give the flesh an opportunity. We want to make it gaunt, just like this picture here. We want to make it small and feeble. It never goes away, but this is our desire, is to starve the flesh as much as possible. Now, they're kind of funny cartoons, but I don't want you to miss the severity of it. We have to be violent against our sin nature that still lives within us. Now, we don't like violence, right? My wife and I, before we watch a movie, she asked me, does this have violence in it? You know, and I'm like, uh, maybe a little, I'm not sure. Uh, this, and they say, no, this one is actually very true to life. It does have violence in it. It's like, I'm not watching that. You probably shouldn't either. Okay. But we have to be violent against our flesh. John Owen says this, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And that is a true reality. If you don't go to battle against your sin, it will destroy you. So why can't we just focus on the good? Well, we do want to focus on the good, but no amount of positive talk will take care of a ruptured appendix, right? A lecture on beauty will not stop a garden from getting weeds. The weeds must be uprooted. On the battlefield, when your enemy is dressed and ready to destroy you, it will not be stopped by nice talking. It's not violence towards harming yourself, but violence towards the remaining sin that is in you. And listen, I want to tell you this morning, you can change. You might not feel like it. Some of you have sin in your life right now that is dominating you, and you said, I'll never be able to get over this. You can change. Not in your own strength, but in the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit, you can change. And it's going to take hard work, and it's going to take you getting some violent against the sin that is remaining in you. And so Paul is going to give us now some practical insight to what this looks like to have a victorious Christian life. Look again at verse 5. Therefore put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is what? Idolatry. Here's our first point this morning. Because you are in Christ, you must slaughter your sin that is in you. Because you are in Christ, you must slaughter your sin that is in you. Our text right before this, Paul tells us about the battle for our mind, that we are not supposed to set our mind on earthly things, but things above. But he doesn't spell out what earthly things are until this section of our text. He explains and gives examples of what some of those earthly things are. Now, if you notice, many of these things are sexual in nature. Much like our world today, the ancient world was a highly charged sexual culture. And Paul is saying, don't flirt with it, slay it. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, okay, that's a nice list, and I don't really struggle with a lot of those things, okay? So just so you don't have that thought of, I don't struggle with that, uh, and you get self-righteous, Paul doesn't leave you off the hook. He says, an evil desire. 
Like, oh, okay? There you go. It's an all-encompassing evil desire that each and every one of us have living inside of us. And Paul says, that is, there is none of you that is left out in this. And he ends that list with greed. Greed. That is the one that uh, captures all of them as well. It is not getting what you want and wanting something more. So he gives us this list. He says, evil desire encapsulate the whole thing, and really it all flows out of greed. Why do we sin? Why do we give it a temptation? Because we, have some, we, have, we don't have something that we want, or we want more of what we already possess. And Paul encapsulates all that and says, you know what all that is? It's idolatry. It's idolatry. So Paul is showing us here that we're not just sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Idolatry, not to be confused with adultery, idolatry is the worship of idols. Now I would imagine if you were to go home today, not many of you have an idol in your house that you bow down and worship, right? Maybe you do, but for the majority of you, probably not. At least not a physical idol. But Paul is speaking of here of anything that we desire that replaces God or we find more satisfaction in. Where we go when we're stressed. Our idol is where we go when we're tired. Our idol is where we go when we're angry, when we're bored, and when we're lonely. Anything that is, fills the void of what is supposed to be filled by God is an idol in our lives. So Paul is really trying to get to the sin behind the sin. It's not just lust. It's not just impurity. It's actually idolatry. And Paul is saying it's much deeper than the things that you do. It's at the core of who you are desiring things apart from Christ. So don't just see, see those other things as the symptoms of that you are looking to something else other than Jesus. So if you were to boil it down, you can say that sin is actually a worship issue. Sin is a worship issue. At the heart of it, it's a worship problem. I'm not talking about the songs that we sing on Sunday morning. But we're talking about finding joy and worshiping what we have in this world and what we want rather than worshiping God. That's what it is. Sin is ultimately, and am I going to worship the one who created me and died for me? Or am I going to worship the stuff in the world and I'm going to give my life to that? So the option is always starts there and then flows into the other sins that we see listed here. And Paul does a very super job of showing us that it is deeper. So, but he also is showing us that you've got to take care of those other sins first if you're going to, if you're going to follow Christ and walk with him. So it's one thing to slaughter your sin, to be told that, but how do you actually do it in real time? Here you go. Here's the next sentence of this point that we're going to unpack. Because you are in Christ, don't miss that. Because you're in Christ, because you belong to him. Because you are in Christ, slaughter your sin that is in you, the first list, by identifying it. So you need to first identify the sin in your life. You can't slaughter what you don't target. You first need to look at your life and do a little inventory and say, what are the sins that I struggle with the most? Where are they? And now I need to identify that sin. And then ask yourself this, when am I most tempted? Is there a time of day 
that this sin rises up? Is it the morning, the afternoon? Is it late in the evening or at night? When do I most give in to this sin? And where? Is it a place? Is it a place in the house? Is it when I'm alone? Is it when I'm with somebody? So you look at it and say, I'm going to identify my sin. And then I'm going to ask, when does it happen? And where does it happen? So because you're in Christ, slaughter your sin that is in you by identifying it. And once you've identified that sin, then you forsake that sin. Once you identify that sin, you forsake that sin. Listen, sin is not meant to be managed. It's meant to be fleed. Sin is not meant to be managed. It's meant to be fleed. Don't try to manage it. Forsake it. You know, so often we'd say to ourselves and we say to each other, I really struggle with this. When really, it's not a struggle that you're going through. You're just giving into it, right? Because you're not actually, uh, actually trying at all to overcome it. Here's some examples. Oh, I really struggle with gambling, but I just go to Prairie Meadows to drink the free Cokes, right? It's like, oh, well, I, I'm there. I put myself in that situation, and it's a no wonder that I give into it. I really love shopping, and I overspend things that I don't need, and it becomes an idolatry in my life. And I don't know why this is always, this temptation comes up when I'm sitting with the Amazon app open on my phone all the time, right? Or as I'm walking around Jordan Creek and the other places and the outlets and longing for the things that I see. I don't know why I'm always giving in to these things. I overeat. And every morning when I come on Sunday, they're serving me donuts. No, I, <laughs> I overeat. And I'm sitting here, and it's always this temptation when I put myself around it. And I put things in my home that are unhealthy. I can't believe I continue to overeat. I struggle with drunkenness. And I just can't believe it that when I'm sitting at the bar with my friends, I end up getting drunk. Right? Oh, man, I'm really struggling with purity with my boyfriend and my girlfriend. And I said, when does this mostly happen? Well, usually in the dark when we're watching a movie under a blanket, right? It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, that's not, that's, you're putting yourself in a situation where you're not actually fleeing sin. You're trying to manage it. Or I'm looking at things on my phone that I shouldn't. Well, where does this happen? Usually when I'm all by myself at, bed and at, at night when everyone else has already gone to bed. That's not fleeing. That's trying to manage your sin. You're not strong enough to manage your sin. It must be fleed. That's why it must be put to death. Stay as far, as far away from it as possible. Don't hang out in the graveyard where your sin is. Look at verse 8. But now put away the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language from your mouth. So the first Dealt, the first list dealt with the sins that were inside of us. This point continues further with this. Because you are in Christ, slaughter the sin that is in you and the sin that is coming out of you. So now we're looking at the sin that we have against and towards others. Anger, slander, filthy language, and lying. Do you see how this is also a worship problem? We don't get what we want, so we turn to these things for comfort. Because doesn't it feel really good in the moment to get angry? 
oh man, to let someone have it. That feels really good. And if it didn't, we wouldn't do it. Doesn't it feel really good in the moment when you're feeling insecure to talk bad about someone else? When everyone's at work and talking about everyone to jump in on that, first you realize they're not talking about you, which is a relief. You're like, woo, right? Now I can jump in and give my two cents on how I feel about somebody slandering someone, and it feels really good in that moment. And you like to say nasty things because people think, man, this dude's raw. He's real. I liked hanging out with this guy. He just says whatever. And then we lie to each other, the text says. We lie to avoid trouble, right? Kids, we lie to avoid trouble, don't we? We think in this moment, if I can tell a lie, it's going to get me out of a punishment. Adults do that too. And we often avoid conflict by lying. I'm fine. Everything's fine, right? Without speaking the truth to each other. Or we exaggerate by lying. And Paul is saying, stop these things. Put them away. Stop lying to each other. So remember, what was the first thing we need to do in order to slaughter sin or to put it to death? Because you are in Christ, you need to slaughter the sin that is coming in you and out of you by identifying it and forsaking it. It's always the same thing. You look at it and you go, I'm going to identify this and then I'm going to forsake it. You can't slaughter what you don't target. So if you struggle with lying, forsake it. If you struggle with slander and all the employees are gathered around and they're talking bad about the boss, you know it. Don't go over there. Don't put yourself there. Don't try to manage it and try to give in the temptation. Flee it. And then tell the truth. Paul says, put off your old self with its practices. It's another way of saying, go to battle against your sin. Fight it. Put it to death. Change and put it away. Why do this? Why would, why, why would I go through the struggle of that? What's the point? That's a lot of effort. That's a lot of work. I just want to live my life. Here's why. We put away and put to death our sin because Jesus was slaughtered for our sin. Jesus was slaughtered for our own sins. And so that's what we have to see in that moment is that our sin is not just a flaw. It's an offense to a holy God and something that Christ died for. And that his wrath is kindled and brought up when we sin. It's something that Jesus was completely torn apart with nails in his hands, in his feet. He was taken outside of the city like an animal and slaughtered. You see, that the reason that had to happen was this. God is perfectly loving and God is also perfectly holy. So your sin, because God is so holy, he can't be around it. And to let your sin go, to just sweep it under the rug, would not be right. God would be a terrible judge if he said, just live however you want and do whatever feels good to you and didn't deal with those things. So sin cannot go unpunished. 
But God at the very same time is perfectly loving. So his justice and his his perfect love go hand in hand. He doesn't sacrifice one for the other. So then how does God love sinners and also take care of their sin? The answer is Jesus. The answer is the cross. The cross is where God's divine justice and his divine love meet in one place and in one person, the man Christ Jesus. So Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, never once broke God's law, never once gave in to temptation, never slandered anyone, never once had a sexual thought, never had a thing that was inappropriate at all, he takes our place on the cross so that the perfect substitute for us dies in our place. God turns his wrath and anger over your sin away from you and unleashes it on Jesus. And because Jesus is perfect and holy, he can actually satisfy and absorb God's anger, what you and I could never do through our good doing. And so Jesus takes all God's anger, soaks it up like a sponge, and God looks at it and goes, I'm not angry anymore. I'm satisfied because a perfect human being has died in the place of human beings. And God's love is put on glorious display as he gave his only son for his enemies. People who rejected him, who hated him, that said, I want nothing to do with you. He sends Jesus Christ, dies in our place, and shows no greater love than this, that a man lays down his life for his friends, and Jesus loved to do it. Even though he didn't enjoy it in the moment, it was his joy to substitute himself for us. And so here is God, able to, forgive our sin because the perfect one substituted for us and shows us his great love and being willing to do so. And so that's why, that's why we battle. That's why we work hard to put sin to death. Because in our putting death to sin daily, we do it because we know that the final punishment for our sin has already been taken care of. So we're doing it in response to Christ's great love on our behalf. That's why we don't just look whatever we want to or do whatever we want or say whatever we want because Jesus was slaughtered for our sin. It's not pretty. It was bloody. It was gruesome. It was gross. It was to show us how gross our sins are before a holy God and they must be taken care of. And so we must fight against those sins in our identity that we already have in Christ. So sin's a worship problem. It's a worship problem. It's much deeper than just the stuff that you do. We're going to talk about this more next week, about what this looks like to replace our sin. But here's a quote from J.D. Greer. We've worshipped our way into sin. Now you got to worship your way out. The same way that you got into sin through worship is how you get out of sin. You forsake your sin... And then you see Christ for all that he is. And as you do that, he changes you. He gives you affection for him, where you want to love and to live for him. It doesn't mean that you don't struggle anymore, but your affections begin to change. You need to be able to remove your sin. It's like when you're driving down the road in a rainstorm and then your windshield wipers don't work. You can't focus on anything else, right? You have to get that water off the windshield. 
And once you can do that by slaying your sin, then you can focus in on Jesus. You've got to get rid of those things first. And then your affections will change. Imagine that there's a 14-year-old boy that mom and dad are always telling him you need to take a shower. Right? You stink. You smell. You need to go take a shower. The dad says to him, you need to go out and wash the car. And it's like, oh, dad, I don't want to do that. He says, you need to go out and you need to take a shower and then comb your hair and put on some deodorant. And it's like this huge struggle. And it's like, come on, why? Why? Because he doesn't see the need for it in that moment. But then a girl comes along that he really enjoys, right? And what does that boy begin to do? He starts taking a shower. He starts putting on deodorant. He starts putting on Axe body spray and taking showers with that too. And then when he gets older, he starts washing the car. And why? Dad doesn't even tell him to. He just starts doing that stuff. How come? His affections changed. The object, there was a reason for it. The, the object of what he was doing was now something that he desired. And so for you and I, we got to kill our sin, put it away, and then look to Christ. And as we look to him, we'll start naturally following him. As we put that stuff away, as he changes our affections, and makes us more like him. So what does this look like? A few years ago, several years ago actually, I was struggling looking at things on my phone that I shouldn't have. And it was dominating me. It was a huge struggle. Keeping me from following God the way I wanted to, keeping me from following Christ the way I, I desired to. And I think that's what it is. So often we have this desire to follow Christ, but our sin can't coexist with that and it keeps us from what we want to do. And so at that moment, I made my phone into a child's phone. My wife had the passwords for it. I couldn't go on anything. And in that moment of taking those things out of my life, of slaying those things, I was then able to actually begin to focus on Jesus. And I realized, like, this is extraordinary. I actually hate that stuff. But I wasn't strong enough. I thought I could manage it. But I needed to put it away so that I could focus in on Jesus. Because Christ is your life. Listen to me, church. Listen, Park Church. Because Christ is your life. Slaughter. The sin, what comes out of you and what comes is in you by identifying it and forsaking it. We want you to live in victory. That's our desire. We want you to live in victory. And we want to be a church that is not bogged down. Yeah, messy people are welcome here. We acknowledge we're still all sinners and we're working through this together. So we want to be a church that's open and honest and saying, I'm not finished yet. I never will be. I want to confess my sins and I want help. I want to enjoy Christ. And we want to be a church that does that together, that welcomes others in from the community that says, you don't have to be perfect to come here. You don't have to act like you're perfect to come here because we know you're not. And together, because we have found our identity in Jesus, we want to grow in him and we want to be putting away sin and fixing our eyes on Jesus. And when we turn our eyes on Jesus, what happens? When we look full in his wonderful face, the things of earth, they grow strangely dim in the light of his 
glory and grace.